Hey, folks, Tom and Keith, and we want to send a big shout-out to the Dunlap Champions Club, which has been the sponsor of Front Row Knowles podcast for some time now. Hopefully during the 2017 season you got a chance to sample it. I know on the field the season may not have gone the way you wanted, but uh, off the field the experience remained top shelf inside the Dunlap Champions Club. Without question, the, the ability to go to a ball game, to, to be inside when it's hot, to have refreshments, food, drink, those types of things. And you and I both, Tom, have talked about, uh, particularly during this semester, school semester, we've been in there for other functions. And certainly many of our listeners uh, should have the opportunity, will have the opportunity to be there for other than football games. If you're a member, you've got that opportunity on Friday nights prior to the game. You can do things on Sunday. It's uh, obviously attached to the University Center Club. Uh, It's a great all-around venue for anything that's going on during the weekend. It was built with 365 days a year function space or functions in mind. Uh, I'll I'll remind you that uh, next year, 2018, seven home games on the schedule, including Virginia Tech, Florida, and Clemson. Plant that little seed. Now, if you want more info, go to fsuclubseats.com or fsuchampionsclub.com. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good evening and welcome. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith Jones with you here in Tallahassee and via the Earl Bacon Hotline, Earl Bacon Agency, and sharing your future at an undisclosed location, doing what most Leon County families with children are doing this week away, is uh, my partner Tom Block. And Tom, don't give anything away. We don't want anybody rushing you and asking for autographs or trying to disrupt you and your family during dinner. So we don't need to know where you are. We just need to know how are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, don't worry, nobody's rushing me for autographs, but it does make it sound really impressive when you define that I'm in an undisclosed location. Well, you know, we have to protect your celebrity because, you know, there have been occasions when I have been mistaken for you, and that's just unbelievably flattering to me. Uh, Tongue firmly planted in cheek, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, are we having a good time? We are. We are. I mean, uh, spring break is spring break. It's a little different, uh, you know, these days than perhaps in my raucous youth, but uh, nevertheless, a good time. Well, that leads to, uh, you know, we need at least one uh, story of raucous youth. Uh, I didn't have any during the time that I was in college because we were usually getting ready for spring ball and or uh, the last couple of them I was married, so there wasn't anything going on. But uh, did we have a, any even a slight story we could share that would enlighten us as to the uh, – the joy that one uh, William Thomas Thomas William Block enjoyed during his time at Florida State. Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one, Keith. Just it is a family show. Understood. So, Understood. Understood. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, big ball game last night did not come out on Florida State's end. Uh, Florida State uh, drops a baseball game to the Gators. Started well, though. Started well. Uh, but uh, in the end, Florida victorious over FSU. Do, should we should we get ready and panic and throw everything uh, out the window since the uh, Gators have beaten Florida State, what, 11 of the last 12, 12 of the last yeah, 14, no. whatever it is? No, I'm sure, and I'm sure there is panic if you uh, you know read social media or message boards or whatnot. But there's kind of two layers to this. One, the bigger picture layer is that Florida State haven't been successful in baseball for so long, and quite frankly, being much more successful than Florida up until about six years ago, or when the Kevin O'Sullivan era started. 
uh, it's been a complete sea change for Florida State fans to be on the other end of that rivalry. And obviously, this is as one-sided as it's ever been uh, for Florida. I mean, I think this is the first time they've ever won six in a row. So you have that dynamic coupled with the fact that Florida, by the way, has been really good and is a national champion, uh, even though we hate to admit it, and a pretty doggone good baseball team this year. So that you got that dynamic at play. And then you got the other side, which is, uh, and this happens in uh, not just for Florida State, but for any sport. If you get off, when you get out to a 14 and 0 start, everybody discounts who you played and pays attention to the 14 and 0. And the reality is, Florida State, you know, wasn't as good as what 14 and 0 might suggest if they played a tougher schedule. So now the schedule has toughened up. They lost the series to Wake Forest. They dropped one to Florida. So they've got to get back home and get back on track. And I think they will. Uh, the pitching is probably not quite as good as we thought it was through those first 14 games, but it's also not what we saw last night. I do think this is a team that's got better arms, better younger arms in particular than what it's had historically, and still has a chance to be really, really good. And then the last thing I'll add, and we never want to do this because everybody has injuries and excuses or whatnot, but at the end of the day, you know, losing Tyler Holton is going to be a significant thing all year long for Florida State. That's the hand they're dealt, but, but that's just the reality. And anytime you look at any pitching situation, Florida State is one arm further into the pen, if you will, than they would be if Tyler Holton was still a part of that weekend rotation. So that said, you know, that's where we are. 14-3 and three is fine right now, and Florida State just needs to come home and play Notre Dame. And, you know, fans will want to sweep. I think, honestly, if you take two out of three and turn the page before your next conference series, you can't really argue too much with that. Uh, a little bit of positive note from the power standpoint. I think four home runs last night with uh, three different folks. Uh, that That's something that uh, could aid Florida State from the offensive side. Yeah, I think the fact that Cal Raleigh is swinging a good stick here in the last uh, few weeks, really, really good sign because his bat was missed last year. You know, it went from a fantastic freshman year to being pedestrian last year in terms of a hitter. So if he's going to produce at that pace, that's that's huge. And Drew Mendoza has been hitting fine. He hasn't been hitting for power this year. I'm not particularly worried about that. As the weather warms up, as the pitchers throw with more velocity, uh, you know, Mendoza will make contact and the ball will exit with uh, with greater velocity as well. So his numbers will be fine. He's a, he's a really, really good talent. And so I think those two, uh, you know, the fact that both of them are hitting well right now is a good sign. Florida State still has – you know they got to they got to find they're still moving some parts and pieces around, but I'm confident that uh, with what Mike Martin Jr. has done historically, that, that they'll piece together a lineup that's going to hit. They obviously will get on base because they're going to be very patient as has been their their norm. So I'm not as concerned about that. And that was good to see four homers last night. Now we'll we'll talk more basketball, both, both the women's side and the men's side, in our next couple of segments when we're joined by Tim Lenefelt, our Seminoles.com insider. But uh, I guess the overview between me and you is simply, uh, again, second consecutive season, both uh, squads in the tournament. Uh, and uh, it's been a while since that's happened in consecutive years, uh, a very positive sign for both programs. Yeah, I saw some stat, and it, uh, it it amazed me. And, uh, you know, it was on Twitter, so I, I trust that it's true. Sure, absolutely. But, but uh, six programs nationally have gone to the men's and women's basketball tournament last year and this year. And so FSU is one of the six, and I believe, I believe three of them were ACC schools. I want to say Miami's on that list, and I forget who the other one is offhand. But point being, one out of six is a good thing. And I, I am curious, Keith, we haven't had a bigger picture conversation about this. And maybe now's not the time. Maybe we can wait till whenever Florida State's tournament run ends. But, you know, this is now six out of ten years for Leonard. And that's the best ten-year stretch 
in Florida State basketball history, I believe, certainly under one coach. The thing is, it, w- it wasn't like it was go two years, miss a year, go a year, miss a year. It was go four years and then miss four years, and now they're back for two years. But but really what I'm, I'm wondering, and you are involved with the, with the basketball program, and you see all these other arenas, and we have this discussion about fan support and basketball budget and all that. Should Florida State be better than going six out of ten years at this point, or is that about what they should expect? Well, and, and that is a bigger picture discussion. Uh, I'll give you my my quick um, answer, and then we'll tell Matthew to add that to the list of uh, items to be discussed discussed later. Um, uh, you know, I I would say it's right at it. I would say maybe seven out of ten would be my benchmark. And I think uh, another area that you're going towards uh, has to do with things like facilities and how you recruit these upper-level players and get them to come to your place. And some of the changes that have been made in the in the um, Tucker Center uh, certainly have helped with that. And, you know, you talk about going to four, missing four, and now the last two. I think what's different between these two, Tommy, and, and the last four prior to four is that you're now doing it with first-round draft picks. Uh, you had a couple of them last year. XRM's made a squad, so you got three kids playing on the NBA uh, at the NBA level. As we take this snapshot, uh, you've got MJ coming in, which was a, a McDonald's All-American. You've got a couple of other kids on the radar. I think what's different is you're now doing it with the upper echelon of talent, and not just your fourth and fifth years if they've redshirted fourth and fifth year players, veteran players like you did the last time. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and and. You know, based on what they return next year, and we don't know if Cooper's going to get that extra year or not. But I mean, they're with with everybody else back. Uh, you know, they're going to be in good position to make it three consecutive years and seven out of eleven. So let me ask you this then: and you obviously were in New York when Florida State lost to Louisville, and that was sort of twofold. I think one there was there was a lot of angst because FS the way they lost, they got down so big before making it respectable. But then two that they lost there. And people were concerned about being on the bubble, which is not a fun place to be. Although, as it turns out, and based on the seating, really they weren't on the bubble, ultimately. But you don't know that at the time. But this is a a game management question. And you know that Leonard has always used a deep bench. He's always played a lot of guys, particularly in the first 10, 12 games of the year. But really throughout the course of the season. And so what I'm getting at, and and this is in light of the last couple years where it appears, now they can change this this weekend where it appears that they're not playing their best basketball at the end of the year. Is there something to be said for shortening the bench so that there's more continuity from the seven or eight guys who play as compared to playing nine or ten guys and, in theory, keeping people fresher to wear folks down? You know, I think that obviously is a philosophical question that the the staff hopefully and might even uh, uh, undertake. Uh, I think the book tells you that if you can play 10 or 12 over the length of the season, 30, 31 games, and then however many you may play in your conference tournament, that you're better off with the less number of total minutes combined. Although we see teams like Syracuse and, and others that play six or seven kids and they average 35, I mean, K, 37. Coach K has been done it yep. for a while. Now, I will tell you, in, in Coach K's situation, his, his uh, situation this year, he's playing four freshmen. And that really becomes a, a philosophical question because uh, you and I have had this conversation off air about uh, kids like MJ Walker and Cabin Gelly, which they're playing their first year, although Cabin Gelly's a redshirt, they're playing their first year of Division One college games. And we talk about freshmen hitting the wall because of the length of the season and the number of the games. And all that to say this, I haven't answered any of your, of your, your questions. I've just mapped out additional 
that, that's an interesting phenomenon, and and I'm not I'm just not sure Leonard after 16 years here and 30 years as a co- combined head coach, I'm not sure how flexible he would be or might be contemplating that he likes to play a lot of people a shorter amount of minutes that's just his philosophy yeah and obviously we we nitpick based on the most recent result uh without bringing up that there's been lots of games where having more depth has proved to be the difference down the stretch as other teams had attrition with foul well, and fr- friday night might be another one i mean missouri is unbelievably shorthanded and again we'll, we'll talk about that with our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt in the next couple of segments. But uh, if if there's ever a game where uh, the length of the bench could be an absolute positive, you may see that Friday night. Well, they're shorthanded in that uh, one of their stars is suspended. But, of course, they're replacing him with a guy who's going to be a lottery pick, even though he's only played two games this year. So Yeah, but they're also out another starter that uh, just entered his ACL, if I'm reading correctly. So uh, it's going to be an interesting ball game. Let's put it that way. No question. I think the thing that uh, we'll end on as we get ready to transition, you know, everybody was so upset, uh, disappointed, uh, even angry last year when Florida State won their first game in the NCAA and then they lost to Xavier. And and how in the world can you lose to Xavier? How in the world can you lose to a team like Xavier? I, uh, last I checked, they're the number one, one of the four number one seeds in this tournament. Am I, am I missing something here? No, you're right. Uh, I do think that was the way that game went, though, because that was similar to the Louisville game of last week, minus the comeback at the end. You know, Florida State was never really in it. Um, But to your point, this was a team that was viewed as a bubble team. A lot of folks didn't have this team making the tournament this year, and now if they win a game, they're in the exact same spot, literally the exact same spot, playing the same team. (laughs) Yeah, literally, exactly. Yeah, as last year's squad, different venue in Nashville instead of Orlando. Um so expectations are different this time around. I think most reasonable FSU folks I know, uh, not that you want to say we're good with this because you always want to win more, but I think in reality most are good with getting back to the tournament and everything else from here on out is gravy. Um, but you would, if you get another chance against Xavier, you, you'd like to compete and have that be competitive. Well, I, I um, think the kids, if they get past Missouri, will will welcome the opportunity to try to play uh, Xavier. I think that uh, – Leonard doesn't like to talk about revenge, uh, but certainly that uh, maybe the R word redemption will come to play if they get past the Tigers on Friday night. Yeah, well, and then the other part is, Keith, you know, however you lose, if the end result is a loss, you're going to quibble with it. I mean, when Florida State lost to VCU a few years ago in a very close game, you know, then you agonize possession by possession. When you get blown out by Xavier, you don't go possession by possession. You just sum it up as we got completely outcoached, outplayed. You know what I mean? So if the result's a loss, you're gonna you're gonna nitpick something. But no question, no question. Let's let, let's take care of Missouri and then let's let the chips fall where they may from there. And speaking of Missouri, and of course uh, the women playing over the weekend as well, we'll get to that in our next segment when we t- uh, check in with Tim Linnefeld. So Tommy, you hang hang tight now. Uh, you sound like you've got good cell reception, so you're not way out in the boonies, but hopefully you're somewhere uh, that's a little bit isolated so you can enjoy some time. But before we go to break, I want to remind you that um, uh, you ought to check out Madison Social uh, down uh, near the stadium. Happy hour every uh, day from 4 to 7. And remember, Madison Social is the official 
watch party location for men's basketball. So about 9, 9.15, 9.30 on Friday, you want to head down to Madison Social and along with the rest of the Seminoles that are in Tallahassee, uh, look in as Florida, stakes on, Florida State takes on Missouri in uh, the first game of the NCAA tournament. And then, uh, we are big thanks to Madison Social, a longtime sponsor of Front Row Knowles. Speaking of which, stand by. We'll be back right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Keith Jones with you here in Tallahassee. Tom Block at an undisclosed location. And we're joined by our Seminoles.com insider, one Mr. Tim Linnefelt. We know he's in Tallahassee. And uh, both of those individuals come to us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And, uh, gentlemen, the uh, the trio is back, even though we're using technology. How is everybody? Tim, we'll start with you. How you doing? I'm magnificent. I'm really just amazed that we can all three, uh, three be together on the phone like this. It really is a miracle of modern technology. Well, you know, you, you being the lower <laughs> level like me of the uh, trio, uh, Tom is, uh, I'm told our listeners last segment, is at an undisclosed closed location we don't want to tell people where he is because he's away on vacation and we don't, we don't want the mobs coming and interrupting him uh whatever he's doing uh you and i on the other hand we're still here in tallahassee we can give uh uh, uh either uh, autographs or sage advice if anybody wants to ask us for a, for a little while anyway but you uh you, you got your uh, your boots and your cowboy hat ready to go KJ? uh nashville uh i tell you last time i was up there was three or four years ago and uh, there's one particular story with one particular Mr. Gene Deckerhoff, which is not uh, not arable on a family uh, station. Uh, but, yes, we, we enjoyed uh, Nashville, the Bridgeville Arena, uh, a, a wonderful place to play. And, uh, Timmy, you'll be up there with us uh, yes, sir. once we get there. And, uh, in fact, we'll just start there. What, what, what do you make of the FSU-Missouri matchup? Uh, you know, the more I think about it, I, I kind of like it for uh, for Florida State. Not not to say that it's a it's a it's a huge uh, swing in either direction. I was looking, doing some research uh, the other day, and I mean those eight nine games are about as much of a coin flip as it gets. I think the the eight seed wins about fifty one percent of the time, all time. So it really is a fifty fifty proposition. It's it's complicated by the fact that uh, that Missouri does get Michael Porter back, you know, and, and he'll probably be a little bit better than he was in that SEC tournament game with some more practices under his belt. Uh, but then they also announced that their their starting wing, who was their second leading scorer, uh, he'll be suspended Friday night. He had uh, some uh, some legal entanglements last week, so he's not going to play. And he's a guy that's that's made I think something around eighty three pointers. So uh, so you get a really quality player back, but you're also losing a really quality player back if you're in Missouri. Uh, so uh, so yeah, I I don't know. I kind of like Florida State in this one. Uh, Missouri shoots a lot of three pointers, uh, which makes you nervous. But then uh, in, in a weird way, that almost would make me feel good uh, because if you're Florida State. I, yeah, and I, I don't mean I mean this as a positive. Like you're kind of used to that. You're not going to be surprised 
uh, when a team uh, takes a bunch of three pointers or or, uh, or even makes a bunch of three pointers early in the game. Now uh, you know we're we're on Wednesday. We don't play till Friday night, so I'm I've still got a little bit of work to do. But did I read and 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 Tom? I don't know if you've been able to see any of this since you've been away, but I read somewhere where Van Leer is out, uh, who is another one of their wing players with an ACL. Did I read that correctly, or am I no. am I just dreaming? No, that I that I haven't seen that. If you want, I'll put the phone down real quick and uh, and look it up. But uh, but no, I that's uh, I that would be that would be news to me. But certainly, I, you know, as far as it goes, uh, you know, we, the, the the usual caveat: you don't hope for injuries. But that would be another thing in Florida State's favor. And of course, the player that suspended that Tim talked about is uh, Jordan Barnett, their senior. Uh, six seven forward out of St. Louis averages about fourteen points a ball game, uh, right at six boards. And you're right, Timmy. It's, it's eighty two made threes uh, on the season. He uh, will be suspended for that game because of his um, indiscretion. We'll call it that over the weekend. Um, if Florida State gets past Missouri, uh, we're right back a year later where we, where we were. And Tom and I were mentioning in the prior segment, everybody was upset, concerned, mad, and we'll fill in the blank when FSU lost to Xavier last year. And by Jingo's, they're a number one seed in the tournament, and you can play them on Sunday if you get past the Tigers. Wow. Isn't it interesting what a year can change? <laughs> it, really, uh, it really is. You're right. And, you know, uh, the, the Xavier game was, uh, you know, I think was so frustrating uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. But, uh, you know, what, what stuck out to me and uh, I think the, the year that followed has borne this out is that, man, that looks like a really, really good team uh, that, that, that they saw. What were they, like a six seed last year or something like that? Mm-hmm. I guess they would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, they looked better than a six seed to me, and, and they played really, really well. You know, they, they obviously uh, were, were super uh, into their system, knew what they were doing both on offense and defense. <laughs> and uh, they, they almost just seemed like methodical the way they played that basketball game. And they, they had to. To me, again, the uh, uh, had the look of a, of a much better team than, than they had been seeded, and lo and behold, a year later, now they're a number one seed. Uh, that said, you know the circumstances of that game are are totally different, uh, or of, the, of this game, assuming Florida State makes it. Uh, you know, look, you know, Missouri is a number one seed, and Florida State's a number nine, and, and everything that goes along with that. Uh, but I think the difference now, you know, Florida State got in trouble last year, and that Xavier defended so well, and, and Florida State just couldn't shoot out of it. They they couldn't get the shot. That was when Dwayne Bacon was going through a, a pretty miserable slump outside. Um, this year, you know, I think it, it there's Florida State has a chance if it comes to that to shoot out of it. Uh, you know, while some of the shooters haven't been as hot lately, uh, you know, there's a chance that, that Brian Angola could could catch fire. He had been he seems like he's been playing better or shooting better. I mean, over the last few weeks, Bill Cofer has turned uh, remarkably into a reliable three point shooter. And then, you know, you get something from MJ Walker, PJ Savoy looks like he's getting a little bit more involved in shooting better too. So. Uh, the, you know, the key is we always say that kind of shooting out of those, those types of defenses, or to getting out of those types of defenses, is, is uh, to shoot them out of it. And last year, Florida State couldn't do it. This year, I think there's a little bit, maybe a little bit more reason for optimism that they could. What What can we expect? What's reasonable to expect from Terrence Mann Friday night? That's a good question. I think it matters. Uh, you know, uh, Leonard Hamilton mentioned uh, yesterday they're still dealing with some uh, some uh, some uh, kind of nagging injuries, some minor things, and bangs and bruises. Uh, you know what, what I think you would like to see uh, is, is him being aggressive, getting to the basket, uh, creating energy. You know, I, I think when when Terrence is at his best, I think he plays with a bit of an attitude, a bit of a moxie. You kind of see it on his face. He's one of the more expressive players that uh, that I can remember seeing at Florida State in a while. And I think you know down the home stretch of the season, he was was kind of dealing with some, uh, some some aches and pains and wasn't feeling his best. You'd like to think that with a few days off and a few days of practice. Uh, you know, maybe that, that he's he's a little bit more uh, closer to fully healthy, and that he can give you that. You know, to me, 
Uh, you want him scoring near the basket, and you want him grabbing rebounds, and you want him harassing the other team on defense. I think if you can do those things, uh, you're probably pretty pleased with that. All right, Tim. Now, now, Tom. Tom did do a little work before he left town, and uh, and uh, followed up on it. So I'm gonna let him. I'll turn the the, the stage over to him, Tommy. Uh, you can relay your uh, newfound statistic about consecutive uh, NCAA appearances by both the men's and the women's team, and therefore you can uh, elevate your status in Tim's mind about the uh, diligence and the hard work you put into our show. Uh, you mean I read Twitter? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. No, I just thought it was interesting to that stat that's out there that only two, six programs have made the tournament men's and women's side the last two years. Uh, I thought that number would have been higher. So it's one of those things, you know, when you're close to it, you kind of take things for granted. Uh, you always pine for what you don't have, i.e. a Final Four birth or whatever. But that, that's a pretty solid stat to go back-to-back years on both, both sides. And, you know, when you look at what they have coming back next year, I think there's a pretty good chance Florida State can make that three consecutive years, both men's and women's teams going to the tournament. No, I, I agree completely. And if you, you know, if you add some other qualifiers to it, you know, we were looking in the office yesterday, teams that have back-to-back NCAA tournament appearance on the men's women's side and then back-to-back bowl game appearances, uh, that number gets even smaller. And then you talk back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances, bowl appearances, uh, and then, you know, some, some of the other uh, bowl, bowl victories. Or I think we looked, you know, who, who has uh, made the men's and women's tournament and went to Omaha last year or what have you. Uh, no matter how you slice it, Florida State's in, some, in pretty elite company right now. I agree with you. I, it kind of surprised me. I would have thought there would be more than that uh, as well. But there's, you know, there's not. And then I think the fact that that speaks to, you know, really, I, it, maybe it's a little strong to, uh, to call it like the golden age of Florida State basketball. I think both programs and coaches would like to, to, uh, to reach a little bit higher and maybe even starting this year. But, uh, it's a really, really good time to be a Florida State basketball fan. I think you're right. Maybe sometimes we, uh, you know, we focus on the things we don't have or haven't done yet. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, overall, you know, place in the national standing, place of, you know, like, like Leonard likes to say, being a team of significance. Both the, the men's and women's programs are doing that at a rate that, like you said, uh, not a lot of teams around the country are doing, and it's uh, it's you know not a bad idea to kind of stop and say, hey, this is kind of a cool thing. Tim, on the men's side, obviously you have to, if you're in Tallahassee, have to watch by television. But uh, on the women's side, uh, Coach Sue and the ladies uh, will play on Saturday in the Tucker Center. You can watch them live. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, 11, 11 a.m. I think it's like 11.08 is official tip-off, which is uh, kind, of a, kind of a brunch with the, uh, a basketball brunch. I like the idea. And uh, their opponent, and what do you think of uh, their prospect? I mean, uh, they've, they've made, uh, what, the Elite we, Eight uh, three different times? Yeah, let's so start with Arkansas Little Rock. I think it's probably uh, reasonable to expect to win that game. And then uh, the next round would set up a likely matchup with USF, which would be pretty interesting. They are actually a, a, a pretty talented team, beat Ohio State earlier this year. And, and, and the talk is, you know, again, Florida State can expect to win that game. But you know, it's not going to be your, your typical uh, typical early round matchup. That's going to be a, a pretty big fight. And then uh, from there, if, if you get past, uh, get past USF, that's indeed who you play, uh, then things get pretty tough. Uh, it's it's uh, the bracket on Florida State side. Of the bracket is, is really challenging. Florida State is, of course, the three seed. The number two seed is the defending champion, South Carolina, and the number one seed, of course, is Connecticut. So if you get out of this first weekend, uh, yes, a potential, uh, you know, really difficult, but also high profile and big opportunity matchups uh, potentially in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. 
Well, Tim, Tom and I talked about the baseball game in the first segment, and we're going to keep you on uh, into our third segment. So I think what I'm going to do is segue, uh, and I, that doesn't mean get on a two-wheeled vehicle and go running out the door, <laughs> uh, but segue, ask both of you to stay on the line, and uh, let's go uh, to a break. And when we come back, we'll talk some baseball and then some other sports, and then I want to talk a little bit about spring practice that's coming up uh, next week. And we'll do all that right here on Front Row Noel. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. This is 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee. I am Keith Jones, driving the uh, small boat today while my uh, partner Tom Bach is away on vacation and our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnevelt, they're both joining us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. And fellas, when we finished up last segment, I said we're going to segue into baseball. We've gotten Tom's opinion on things, Tim. Uh, what, what, What was your takeaway from last night? Well, frustrating, of course, uh, particularly because it got off to such a, a hot start um, and, and, you know, it looked like things were going so well for, for Florida State, especially offensively and, and traditionally over the last few years when, when Florida had been so good and kind of gotten the better of this rivalry. It was, uh, you know, Florida's pitching that was so dominant and Florida State's offense that, that had a hard time keeping up. Well, this time, you know, you hit back-to-back home runs early in the game. You're thinking, hey, all right, you know, some, some things are turning. Uh, and then Ford, of course, bounces back a few minutes later with some some offensive firepower of its own. Uh, it's frustrating to lose to Florida just because it is, you know. And I and I think we we kind of had this conversation before. Is that you know, I think I think Mark, Mike Martin would say that as much as anybody. But uh, I, at the same time, and, and you know, it, it, I'm not ready to, to hit the red button just yet. You know, even uh, with with a bit of a skid that they're on, it's, it's their first experience. Uh, first experience is playing on the road for you know a pretty young team, guys that are. They're being asked to do some new things and, and players that are experiencing a lot of these dynamics and, you know, experiencing other people rooting against you for the first time. Uh, that's something that they sort of have to learn, particularly, uh, you know, in Gainesville, Florida, for a rivalry game on a, on a Tuesday night. I think it's, you know, it's tough to, to go for three games at Wake Forest, play a doubleheader, which a lot of guys are doing for the first time, and then immediately turn back around and, and get on the road to, to Gainesville where you're facing, you know, the defending champions who, uh, are, are absolutely against you, and this is, you know it's, it's a new experience. So, uh, what you'd like to think is that that experience will be turned into a positive moving forward, uh, and and that, that you can turn around and, and get some wins against Notre Dame this week. And I still think this is a pretty good baseball team uh, for where they are right now, and then they have a, you know room to grow, which is a good thing, and, and plenty of time in which to do it. Tommy, 18 wins away for Coach Martin for 11. Uh, I guess, uh, do we need to start the countdown? Is that big scoreboard got uh, some numbers on it somewhere we can put and start counting them down? Well, you know, the count, the countdown's been out there. And I just wonder, I, th- th- this is the question that has forever plagued Mike Martin in FSU baseball. It's that little asterisk that he hadn't won the big one. And uh, I do think when you step back, if you try and remove the emotion and consider how consistent a product he's put on the field since 1980 when he first became head coach, uh, it's mind-numbing to think about. I mean, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like the second-longest streak of 40-plus win seasons right now nationally is six. 
and he's done it every year of his career. And Florida State's actually done it a couple years longer than that. So uh, I don't know what what uh, you know if you if you converted that to another sport, what a similar statistic would be. But it's it's really really impressive. It'd be the dynasty years of football. It'd be the fourteen years uh, in that run. There's, uh, yeah, it, it would be. It, it's it's similar to that. And uh, you know, going to the postseason every year. Uh, you know, last year. Florida State, the way they started, especially at the midpoint, at this time last year, nobody was thinking Florida State was going to Omaha. And they got hot and went out there, won a game, which, you know, ultimately is not what you want to do. You want to win enough to win the championship out there. This year, the expectations were higher. But as I mentioned earlier, even though there's a lot of good parts and pieces on this team, uh, forever, anytime Florida State loses a game this year or could have used another couple innings, we're going to look back, or in fact, we're going to say, you know, there, there's where Tyler Holton would have come in handy. Uh, I guess I'm throwing that out just to maybe modify or mitigate expectations a little bit. The baseball at the end of the day is a matter of being hot at the right time of the year, and we'll see if this team can do it. I do like a lot of their parts and pieces. I don't think we need to overreact the last three games. Timmy, who of the young guys have impressed you most? Uh, you know, I've looked at, uh, at Austin Pollock, the uh, the freshman pitcher. Uh, I think he's been off to a really nice start, especially considering that he's been in an expanded role um, and that uh, – their expanded, expanded role without Tyler Holton. You know, he wasn't expected to be part of the weekend rotation, at least not this early in the season. And when Tyler went down, I think it speaks a lot to him uh, that that's who they turned to and uh, and said, you know, you're, you're going to be our guy uh, to, to step into this role. You know, that's, uh, I think, speaks a lot for a freshman. Uh, got off to a hot start. He's going to have some freshman moments. Had one, uh, you know, last week against Wake Forest, and that's, you know, that's going to happen from time to time. But when you look at the potential, that he's showing, you know, completely dominated the high school circuit uh, when he was when he was here as a local kid, went to, to Lincoln High School in Tallahassee. Uh, and you talk to some of the other, the other players who have known him, you know, Tyler Tyler Holton and Cole Sands, you know, both knew him. Uh, they're local guys as well. And they say, you know, that kind of the way that he handles himself, the way he carries himself, you know, is like a guy who's been at this level for for several you know years, maybe rather than the the few weeks or months uh, that he's actually been here. So. Um, you know, I think you know, despite the uh, the, the tough outing uh, last week, I think the, the potential there is, is, is potential is there for him to have a really special career, special season, perhaps, uh, and, and give them something. And you know, we're talking about a a true freshman, you know, already in your weekend rotation. That's something that doesn't really happen very often, uh, and so it's uh, it, it's pretty cool to see uh, see for him. So yeah, that's probably the, the, the one that jumped out at me the most. One for I think you know, is one of the, the more highly regarded guys. Uh, so you want to see how he can play, and the fact that he's contributing this much this early. Um, you know, I think it's, it's pretty cool to see. All right, fellas, we're in uh, spring break for both uh, FSU and Leading County schools, and uh, next week, um, believe it or not, spring football starts. I think first day of practice is the twenty-first of March. Uh, Tommy, Tommy, what, what what might be the one or two things you want to see out of these uh, fifteen sessions uh, under the Taggart era? I think I'm just interested in sort of the the structural changes, meaning. Uh, uh, you know, the music blaring at practice, just what's different about the flow of practice, because it all translates to uh, the attitude and the energy that you see from the players. You know, I'm of the opinion, we've had a lot of talk over the last couple of years about, uh, you know, with, with Jimbo, should he go at a higher tempo? Should he go for it on fourth down more? All these things that are sort of strategic to the game. But to me, the biggest change and the biggest reason maybe for optimism right now uh, to, to me is that the Taggart is all about accountability and it's sort of the off-field stuff. So, uh, you know, I know there will be tweaks and changes at the different offense, and a lot of that will have a lot of people excited. But I'm, I'm most interested in, in all the behind-the-scenes stuff and guys buying in, 
and being held accountable. Because if, if, if that takes place, you know, if you miss a class or you're late to a weightlifting session or whatever it is, then you know that you can trust the guy in the game and, and it'll, it'll translate into a good result there. So I'm, I'm interested. That's, that's sort of a longer-term thing than something you'd see at practice. But I'm most interested in some of those tweaks. Tim, I guess the uh, – and we're all the product of, of our human nature. I guess the number one focus is going to be at the quarterback position to start with Blackman and and uh, Brady Hoke uh, or whatever the what, – what is the backup's name? I've, I've forgotten his Bailey name. Bailey Hockman. Hockman, yeah, there you go, that guy. I hope Brady, I hope Brady Hoke's not taking reps at, uh, at quarterback this spring. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty bad Freudian <laughs> slip on my part. My no, 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 I'm teasing. Um, but what what do you what do you expect to see out of the quarterback position, and how you think that might work out? And of course, Francois will get some work; he just won't get the full work. Yeah, well, you know, I was, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I was kind of putting together some great spring stuff, and I think it's a big spring potentially for Bailey Hockman. There's there's three quarterbacks on the roster right now. There's not a lot, and uh, we know James Blackman is involved, and we know DeAndre Francois will be involved, but but not to a full extent, and so. Uh, when there's only three quarterbacks on the roster anyway, there's going to be a lot of reps to go around. And if one of those quarterbacks is going to be a somewhat limited participant, then that means that there's going to be even more for the two healthy guys. We know James Blackman is going to do the work that he's going to do. Uh, but for Bailey Hawkman, as a guy we haven't seen very much of. I and mean, this is a pretty big spring for him to, to kind of establish himself, uh, one, with a new coaching staff, new quarterbacks coach, but this, two, to kind of just show uh, what he can do. He's getting an awful lot of opportunities. Uh, and we'll see, you know, how he makes the most of them. Like, you know, I still expect that the, 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 the race is going to come down to the two experienced guys. I mean, you have two guys with a season under their belts in, in DeAndre Francois and James Blackman, and what a unique situation that is. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how I expect that to play out. I think to, to some degree it depends on DeAndre Francois and his health and what he's able to do and, and, and what he's able to pick up. Uh, and it's going to be important because, you know, you're, you're talking about running a new offense, which means learning a new offense. and and getting a rapport with your receivers and your offensive line, all of whom are going to be asked to do different things than what you're used to. So I think it's a really important spring uh, at that position, and there's, there's a lot of opportunities. But, uh, you know, of course, they kind of need those guys to make the most of those opportunities because everything's going to be different. Well, to uh, get back to Tommy's point, kind of structural things or program things, and, and I, I should have prepped you on this. I'm catching a, a cold, but – a, do we know, are they going to practice in the morning or the afternoon? And B, do we know how open the practices will be to the media yet? My understanding is that they will be in the morning. Uh, I, I don't know yet how open they will be uh, to the media. They, they won't be less open. I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> it so, couldn't uh, be less, could it? <laughs> so uh, so I, I believe that, that they anticipate to be a, a little bit more uh, than, than, than what uh, folks are used to seeing. And, that, yeah, I think Willie Taggart's preference uh, is to practice in the morning. So that'll be a change, too. Tommy, uh, I guess the the next visible part that I'm concerned with or, or interested is is do we really have the strength that we think we do at the defensive line and the defensive front? Your thoughts? Well, I think that the uh, you know to me when I look at the roster collectively, and I don't follow recruiting a whole lot, but if you look at the guys who do and they assess overall talent on the roster, and that's based on number of five stars and all that. I saw one recently that had Florida State with the fourth most talented roster in the country going in this year. And that's even after, you know, finishing 11th with this signing class and having to pick up pieces late in the game. So from a talent standpoint, I think Florida State's, you know, maybe better than what the national uh, media might realize when you look at it. I mean, Willie Taggart's not publicly expressing this uh, so much, but he, he had to be doing cartwheels when he examined this roster compared to the other places he's arrived. That said, they're, they're thin at linebacker, and, and quarterback 
you know, quarterback could be fine if the guys stay healthy, but if somebody gets hurt, you know, you're in a pretty dire situation there. To your question about the defensive line, uh, I mean, I would have loved it if, if like a Josh Sweat would have come back, but we saw how well he did at the combine. He obviously made the right call. I, I do think they're they're going to be pretty strong uh, up front, up the middle still, even without Noddy. And it is going to be a little bit deep, uh, different schematically the way they line up defensively uh, than what they have done traditionally. So, you know, to me, the linebacker spot would be the area I'm most concerned about on defense. It's also when you get into these tempo games, we have to recalibrate our expectations too because if you're going to try and score 60 and have 15 and 16 possessions offensively, well, the other team's going to have that many possessions. And so we got to get past, you know, 20 is a good number and, and maybe 30 or 35 is a good number to give up defensively based on, you know, the tempo you're playing at. One thing I want to say real quick about the, the defensive line you were asking about, Keith, I think the, the first team defensive line that, that we expect, talking uh, Josh Kando, Brian Burns, Marcus Christmas, and Marvin Wilson, uh, that's going to be really good. And that, that might be the best in the ACC, maybe the best in the country. But as we know, uh, you, know you need more than one, one first, team, first team defensive line. You know, and, and the ones that are really good are the ones that can rotate guys in and out throughout the game and, and keep them fresh. And so that's a question I think that they have to answer. But, uh, but the starting unit I expect is going to be really good. All right, Timmy, last comment, and then uh, we'll let you go. Uh, wow, tennis. Uh, specifically on the men's side, um, some unbelievable performances already uh, for this Florida State tennis program. No, it's, it's been really good to see, uh, you know, beating Florida the way they did. That was something that, that almost never happened. That happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it's been a long time coming. Uh, you know, Coach Holquist, I, I know you guys know and uh, talked to uh, – has, has been building that program up for a long time and, and kind of laying the foundation and, and, and getting it to where it is. And so to see them sort of reap the rewards uh, of that and, and you know, show that progress publicly, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty neat to see. All right, Tim, we're going to cut you loose. Tom, we're going to ask you to hang on. And before we go to break, I'm going to remind everybody that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all of your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and down on Crawfordville Highway, 3269 Crawford Highway. Or you can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online. That's the dot ctf.nu we'll come back tom and i will uh, reconvene and recalibrate and uh, then we'll get him back to his uh, activities at that undisclosed location but you join uh, stay with us we'll be back right after this Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Last segment of today's edition of Front Row Knowles. Right here on 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee. Tom stays with me. Excited as ever to get back to that undisclosed location. Uh, I think there may be even be a, some form of refreshment involved, Tom. Uh, you, you don't have to share the specific, but you can just grunt or nod if that's the case. Or you can remain completely silent, whatever works best for you. Well, if I take my phone off mute, it helps. So uh, let, me, <laughs> let, let me take a little shine off of this undisclosed location, Keith, by simply pointing out that at present, 
the wife has a work obligation. And so my undisclosed location is the latrine uh, in a hotel room as my seven and nine year old are, are out in the main room. And every uh, two seconds, I check on them to make sure that the room is not on fire. All right. Well, moving forward, I think we should refer to it as the water closet, but uh, you can use latrine if that fits for you. Yeah. The laboratory, whatever you want to use. What do you, what do you make of, uh, as a former player, uh, I can tell you this is a huge change. Uh, but what, what, I guess we need to talk for just a minute about morning practices versus afternoon practices. Yeah, and we haven't we talked about this a little bit. It hasn't been been widely discussed, but uh, you know, I think when when Jimbo first took over, think about some of the changes he made, uh, and and two that come to mind are the way he changed who got on which bus and where the lockers were aligned in the locker room so that you didn't have all the offensive linemen in one row, but you had offensive linemen next to a defensive back, next to a linebacker, so that people, each segment got to know different players on the team. And everybody has their own philosophy. This one is a, is a pretty significant one to go from what Florida State has done historically in practicing in the afternoon to practicing in the morning. And I don't know where they are in getting that completely aligned because you have to change the course schedule. Exactly. To, to make it work. And so there's some things on the academic and university side that are going to have to happen. But once you get there, so uh, just think about it in terms of, uh, you know, me or you or average person, I mean, at least me personally, not, not, that, not that it's optional if you're on the football team, but if you get your workout done first thing in the morning, uh, even though it's tough to get out of bed, you feel much better, at least I do, about the rest of the day. I mean, you've already checked that box. You've had a significant accomplishment. Uh, then you go to class and you're more mentally alert uh, and stimulated there. And then at night, you make a better decision because you know you got to be up again at 5 in the morning. Or we say morning. I don't know if the morning practices are going to be 6 a.m. or if they're going to be 8 to 10. All that remains to be seen. But regardless, uh, you're not out on Tennessee Street till 2 in the morning if you got to be uh, in the locker room getting dressed to go to football practice the next morning at some point. So I think there's a lot of uh, benefit to it. Now, you know, the flip side would be, and Jimbo used to adjust this in fall practice, you know, if the first game was an 8 o'clock game, he would hold their scrimmages at 8 p.m. the week or two leading up so that your body is performing at the exact same time. And I don't know how Coach Taggart will make that adjustment. Obviously, you're not going to play games. Uh, even if you're 6-6, six and six, you're not going to kick at 9 a.m. <laughs> You'll be in that noon window. Um, so I, I, I don't know, but it's just different philosophies and, and different beliefs on how to do it. Uh, I do think it, it certainly helps grab everybody's attention because this is not, oh, we're going to practice again at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, this is completely different than what it has been uh, historically. So it, it'll, be a, it'll be a new wrinkle and fun to see how it develops. Well, two observations as a former player. Number one, when Jimbo instituted that, everybody ride on the same bus and defensive linemen and offensive linemen and defensive back side-by-side side in the locker room, that, those, those things are stupid. Okay, they they don't mean anything. However, this practice in the morning has a unique dynamic if you're a former player, because the only other time under the Bowden era when I played that you practiced in the morning was during fall camp when you had two a days. So you hated morning practices because you knew you had to get through that, and then you had another one in the afternoon. But then came bowl time, and for both of the Orange Bowls that I played in, you know, a hundred years ago, we practiced in the morning down in Miami. 
and it was unbelievable. It was so new. It was so dynamic. It was so different. We'd be through by noon or one o'clock. We'd eat lunch. We had all afternoon to do something. Now that was a bowl setting, uh, but I can't imagine uh, anything but a positive reaction from the players. Now, again, if it's four 30 in the morning and you're out there at five 30 with the lights on, that's one thing. But if it's uh seven, seven 30, eight o'clock, uh, when you're out, uh, either in the IPF or on the field, I, I think the players are just going to embrace it. Yeah. And you know, and the, you know, this is a good point about bowl practices because they're pretty similar now. Now the bowls are supposed to be a reward. So players get their practice knocked out. Uh, regardless of bowl that FSU's been to typically, and then have most of their day to have fun and do the bowl activities. But th- this really points to you know the earlier conversation when I mentioned that I'm more interested in sort of the off-field structure of things uh, because he's Coach Taggart has put his fingerprints all over. I mean, the, the official visit agenda is different than what it used to be. Now we're talking about the practice schedule and the academic structure is different than what it used to be. Well, one, one, Tom, one Tom Block is now an official member of the uh, Spring Taggart Tour, I hear, also. Yeah, I think I'm going to get to go on a, on a couple of those stops uh, in the month of June and pitch it for Gene, and that'll be fun, and I'll get to know Coach Taggart a little bit better as well. But, uh, again, you know, all, all the, the articles and the talk is about going up tempo and what does this mean for, you know, how relevant is the tight end going to be in this offense? Is the passing game more vertical? Are you going to be able to run in short yardage situations? Are you going to be under center? All that matters, obviously. I'm interested to see how it plays out. But I am more interested in this off-field stuff in terms of just getting players to buy in. And because as we look back at the Jimbo era, and we don't necessarily know the answer to this yet, but, I mean, the first few years, uh, the results turned out pretty good. So players were bought in. Was that because it was a new sheriff in town and everybody was afraid to misstep and then they figured out where the holes in the in the structure were? Or was it because, uh, you know, Jimbo, for whatever reason, got distracted? He had personal situation going on. He lost Monk, who, you know, obviously was uh, pretty key in the athletic department. I mean, I don't know the answer to all those things. And for year one, I would expect everybody's going to be on the same page with Coach Taggart or they, they're going to transfer out. But but I am interested to see you know if long term what he's doing and all these things hold up, or if it becomes a thing where you always have to shake it up because after three or four years, guys figure out where the holes are in the system and how to beat it. Well, human nature is human nature, Tommy. We got about a minute left. Uh, what's going to happen Friday night uh, in Nashville? Oh, I you know I like the matchup for ninety nine reasons, and the one reason I don't keep is because they can shoot the three even with one of their guys out. You know, I've been saying on this show for the past month or so. Florida State's going to draw a team that shoots the three and has players that shoot the three, and that's what Missouri does. You know, they're, I don't know, top 25, top 50 as a team and making threes, and a couple of their guys are in the top 50. That just scares me to death because Florida State has not closed out and has left a lot of three-point shooters open. Uh, that said, I like the depth. I like the matchup. I like the fact that even though Missouri's got a good part that it's subbing in, there's some continuity issues potentially that are going to happen there. It changes their rotation, that, that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I'm going to say Florida State here, but I'm just going to say I'm not going to sleep comfortably, and I'm not betting the mortgage or the house on it. Well, I'm, I'm not a betting man at all either, so no, that won't happen. But I, I do think Florida State will be victorious on Friday night. I think they'll play uh, Xavier on uh, Sunday. I think they'll play them well. I think they have a chance, small though it might be, to even get out of the weekend and advance on. We'll keep our fingers crossed, and uh, we'll see. All right, he's Tom. 
back to that undisclosed location water closet and uh, enjoy your kids time enjoy the rest of your time off i'm keith and we're going to say good night and join us next week or for front row knowles